everybody welcome to the 255th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here in my home um yeah i'm very happy to be back very happy to be talking into a microphone that isn't doubled as a uh way that you can listen to music and talk to people in your ear so dude listening to myself i need to have a good mic to sound remotely decent and now that I'm back at the house, I have a remotely decent microphone. Dog, I, I know we're not sharing the video, but there's like a light halo around your face and it looks like you're Jesus, the white Jesus. It just felt right. You know, it's, it's Sunday night. It's our standard recording time. Put on the, the desk lamp and I was like, you know, I've got a candle right next to my my desk that I, that I light when I when I work. And I was like, Let's light the candle. Let's get some good vibes. And yeah, it does kind of give me that, you know, that aura right there. So yeah, I, I just of, screenshotted it and I'll post it on our Twitter and Instagram, my Instagram, Dustin is Jesus. Just, uh, that's the vibes we're going for tonight. And l- let's, before we dive into basketball talk, I always like to take it slow. Are you so after Halloween? There's always a debate. Like, is November Christmas light to you, or is it like November's? It's all about Thanksgiving. Like, are you listening to the Christmas music, watching the movies? Are you into Christmas at all, Sage? Like, I think that's one thing I don't really know about you. Like, what are your <laughs> what, thoughts? What do you on, think? What do you think? Am I into the holiday spirit? I don't think you give a shit. You just want to play 2K and daily fantasy sports. <laughs> That, yeah, you know me. You know me because I really don't give a shit. Like, I'm a, bro, I've, I made a new build in 2K that I'm calling the Herb Jones build. I can do everything. Maybe not shoot as well as I'd like, but give me the space and I'm greening in your face. But yeah, so I, I don't really care. Um, Sage's 2K corner, though. I had so much fun playing last night. It was great. But uh, yeah, I, I don't particularly care. Um, I'm, I'm going to go visit my mom for both of those holidays. Um, I guess we watched like the baking challenges. We, we're not really like heavy, heavy holiday people. Like I know you are. I've, I've watched your Twitter around this time for a decade. I kind of know you, you fucks with this way more than I fucks with this. Oh yeah. September through Jan through, through December is I thrive. <laughs> like you've got sports and then Halloween and now to me, Thanksgiving is fine. Like that, that's cool. But you don't really, you don't get Thanksgiving clothes. There's no Thanksgiving music. There's, I mean, Thanksgiving's just, a fucking false thing too. It's, you know, yeah, it, white people just, killing brown people and, you know, yeah, fuck. I, I'm not into a Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's another, it's another day for me. Like it's, it's another dinner. And yeah, there are a lot of negative connotations in how the holiday came about. But for me, like I, I enjoy some Christmas tunes. I've already watched Home Alone and Home Alone two twice. Um, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that film. I'll give you the respect and call it a film. Oh God, decade plus, easy. I mean, yeah, we're, we we put some decorations up, not all of them, but yeah, it's 
I enjoy it. I, I just enjoy everything about it. I bought a pair of Nike blazers in Christmas colors at the Nike store last year after Christmas because I wanted it was on discount. Everything after Christmas is on discount. Now I can't wait to uh, to put on those those bad boys. So that was just my my question for you because I know a lot of people are saying, "Damn, let Thanksgiving breathe. Let November have its Cyber own." Cyber Monday is more important to me than Thanksgiving. If I wanted to be super duper real, Cyber, I look forward to Cyber Monday more than Thanksgiving. Yeah. To me, Thanksgiving is all about college football. And especially in the state of Oregon, you have Oregon and Oregon State. The Washington. Is that, I know it's not the Civil War, it's something else, but is that the date of the Civil War? It's the Saturday. It's usually the Friday or the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Yep. You have most of the rivalry games happen on that weekend. Uh, it's a beautiful site. And usually for, for some folks, it's a four-day weekend as well. So that's all also uh, nice as well. But that's enough of that, Sage. Let's get into our first segment, the good, the bad, and the ugly. For this week of basketball, what was your good? Anthony Simons and Norman Powell being zone busters. We had some difficulties breaking a zone. The only two players that could potentially even attempt to break the zone were those two. So I, I guess the offensive explosion by our four guards, Dame being the, La- the Lakers one, but like the offensive explosion from at least three of the four guards in most games would probably be my good. Special shouts outs to uh, Norman Powell and Ant, because if those two didn't play that game against the Pacers, we lose. Zage, do you think it's time to find more shots and more opportunities for Norman Powell? Just looking at the month of November, he's averaging 20 points per game. He's doing it on only 13 attempts a night, 55% from the field, over 47% from downtown. He just looks like he is much more engaged when he is moving without the basketball, that the, the team is actually finding him and he's not just being told, go stand in the corner and wait for your turn. I, I feel like this team is much more dynamic when they get Norman Powell involved and he's a highly efficient player as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's. It, I think it's definitely time to manufacture more shots for Norman. I guess it's hard for... You know, with with Damon CJ, it's hard to spare shots to Norman. But I think that with his efficiency this year, with how well he's looked and the engagement you get from Norman, I think it's more valuable for him to get. Let's say Damon CJ get 20 shots each and Norm right now gets 13. I think it might be time to sacrifice one or two Dame shots and one one or two CJs for Norm because he is really efficient when you get Norm being the consistent guy that he is when Dame and CJ pop, we're not losing that game. So I think definitely having Norm be a bigger part of the offense. And I think that the rotations, like player rotations from the coach, really stifle Norman Powell in particular. I know he gets 30 minutes a game. I know that. Plays like the first six minutes, goes on the bench, and then it seems like all of his rotations – he takes a really big break between those times on the court, those stints on the court. It, it's weird when he is like the most hot player on the court to like actually put, make him cold by just not playing him real rotation minutes. Like, let me let me see if I can pull it up real quick. That was a big problem in the Philadelphia game, wasn't it? I think the Sixers game, Norman was really hot. So let let's uh pull up the game flow because i maybe it's just me but there's like 15 real minutes of 
time between when Norman plays and when Norman plays again. And it looks like it's they'll play the first eight. As soon as the second quarter starts, they'll play like four minutes and then bench for the entire like he it's it's big chunks. It's two big chunks of playing time. So maybe maybe that's what he needs. But it seems like when Norman Powell is hot, we take him out for 15 real minutes and then he comes back into the game cold. Like maybe that's Anthony Simons being good. I'm looking at the Philly game, but like 15 minutes, like he plays a big chunk in the first, a big chunk in the second plays a little bit in the third and then is on the bench until the fourth quarter. It's a weird set of rotations. And I know I'm just looking at three games, but he doesn't play a lot. And I think that might be the reason he's not getting the shots that you and I wanted to get. So yeah, but back to your point about Dame and CJ giving up some of their opportunities, some of their touches. One thing I, I meant to talk about last episode, but we ran out of time, but also rang true even after this week's slate of games. CJ McCollum was kind of the, the talk of the town. Early on, he was the story, how he kind of came out like gangbusters, but I think he started to regress back to the mean. And I want to know, do you think he is shooting the ball too much for the season? Yes, it's 10 games but he's putting up 19 and a half shots per game, which is a a, a career high. He's shooting just 43% from the field, which if you take away his rookie season, which was shortened due to injury and is a small sample size, that's the lowest it's ever been in his career. I know the game is being called differently, but still only getting to the line twice a night. And he is putting up nine and a half threes a game. 40.6% 40.6% from downtown. That That's fantastic. But overall, you're shooting 43% from the field on about 20 attempts. Norm's getting about 20 points per game on 13 attempts. So I would suggest that he needs to give some of those attempts and spread them around because when the team plays well, it's when everybody kind of shares the sugar. I, you know, watching CJ and I know like the stats sheets don't always show it, but I think that he is the most engaged blazer. Remember last year, there was never any communication from anybody. It was just, you're doing whatever the fuck you want. I think CJ McCollum is really taking that leadership role, and he looks really engaged every game. I know CJ takes a lot of shots, but just because he's CJ McCollum, there's, it's just more difficult shots than Norman Powell. Right now, I, am, I, I don't want to criticize anything about CJ's game because he's, he's legitimately putting up the effort to be the alpha leader of every unit that he's in. Cause I, I like, I I'm taking, I'm spending real time looking at what CJ McCollum's doing and it's making me really proud. I, I remember texting you during one of the games. I'm like, it's a damn shame. We can't defend cause CJ McCollum's putting in the effort. And you know that that would never have come out of my mouth anytime with C with uh, Terry Stotts being the coach. So I definitely want to give CJ his roses right now because he is bawling the fuck out. Absolutely. I, I just, when you see the Indiana game and you notice it's Damon CJ getting the attention and kicking it out to a player like Robert Covington, he's making those big shots down the stretch because the defenses are respecting Damon CJ. I think for this team, to take the collective next step and play more consistent basketball, that there has to be some level of trust between the teammates. There has to be a, I know I'm going to get the ball if you get into trouble or even a difficult shot. So 
are CJ and Dame better shooters than the rest of the team? Yeah, probably. But I, th- I think it is a team for a reason. And, you know, when, when we played as kids or even in, in rec leagues as adults, when you get looks, even if you miss that look, it makes me more engaged on the defensive end. It makes me more engaged moving without the basketball. Like you just get more excited and you're like, I think I might actually get, you're actually playing basketball instead of just kind of standing around. And I think when the Blazers struggle, they revert to that hero ball with, with Dame and CJ and as great as they are, and especially with the game being called the way it is now, I don't think Portland can survive with them taking 20 Damon CJ type of shots per night over the course of 82 games. Yes, they're going to get hot some nights, but we've seen with Norman, we've seen Anthony, Rocco can shoot the ball. Like we can't have our starting power forward not shoot the ball like he was the previous couple of weeks. I think you got to get everyone engaged, Nurk included, and that will make everyone raise, raise their level. You know, you know where Dame and CJ are going to be when the game's on the line. Yeah. Do, do, do the damn thing. But to get to that point, I think you need everybody else collectively to kind of rise up a couple of notches. And I just think sharing the ball really engages the entire team and just puts kind of like a, a pep in their step, something we've seen at home, but haven't really seen on the road. Do you think Anthony Simons is the main detractor of Norman's shot attempts because when ant comes in he doesn't give a fuck he's shooting i'm looking just like at stints when they're in and i'm just saying like oh ant took like seven shots in this eight minutes while norm took three i I don't know it's tough like i i think ant and in yusuf and those other players are kind of taking away from norman's shots because i kind of expect damon cj to carried the load i think that chauncey billups has uh really made gave people the green light and it's kind of detracting from a guy that doesn't like to take shitty shots yes ant has the green light but through 10 games he's doing everything you'd want for a six man off the bench as scoring punch uh 11 shots but he's shooting damn near 50 percent from the field so if, if you're shooting at a high clip shoot the ball. So that's where I'm kind of looking at, like you can't be inefficient and a volume shooter. Like it, it doesn't work that way. So I think the Blazers need to find the teammates who are hot and who are capable of putting the ball ball on the basket. But in general, back to your point, I think it's a product of a lot of things. I think the Blazers have too many good guards and only one real distributor in Damian Lillard, but he's really at his best when he's scoring. So I mean, we, we've already touched on this, I think. We have for, three combo guards. Honestly, we have four combo guards. We have four combo guards, exactly. And two of them probably need to get moved to balance out the, this roster to give it a, a legitimate shot because at, at least. So, I mean, we that, that's, I think, for another episode, another time. That, that's been really discussed. And... Who knows? We, we may get to talk about it soon. The deadline is not till February, but as long, it's, 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 it's a good it. problem to have because Absolutely. you want everyone to play well. Like you, you never want to sell low. You want to sell high. Uh, and Portland is, is looking into, to be in a really strong position right now with Anthony and CJ playing pretty damn good basketball. Um, my good of the week is protecting home court. Um, outside of that Sacramento Kings loss on opening night, the Blazers are five and one at home and they probably had their two best wins of the season. I would say 
the Phoenix Suns and the Memphis Grizzlies victories a couple weeks prior. That that's the best that I I have seen and heard them look. You play 41 at home. You play 41 on the road. Last year was really tough watching the Blazers because there were no fans in the stands and they were losing games left and right at home that they had no business doing so. Right now, the Blazers' home record, they're, the, the reason they're even in playoff contention right now and not with the, sorry, the Pelicans, Rockets, and, and Thunder is because of the, they're taking care of business at home. Uh, they could easily be three, three and seven. If, if they didn't, you know, handle business against uh, the Pacer game, could have went either way. They blew a big lead. Uh, you, you really bring it against the Lakers when you know LeBron James isn't playing, which the Blazers in the past haven't done. So at least they're playing well at home. And I think that is a good first step into seeing if this roster can, can do anything. But I'll go. My bad is the Blazers' road woes. They are 0-5, 0-4, excuse me, on the road. And every single one of those losses was either ugly and outside of the Charlotte game came against a team that was missing key pieces. I mean, starting power forward Larry Markkinen for the Cavaliers was out. Uh, Philadelphia had four missing uh, starters at one point in the second half. Uh, the Clippers were without um, Kawhi Leonard, and you get yeah you get blitzed in, in Los Angeles. Um, we're going to get to it, Sage. But looking at the next four games, all on the road: Clippers, Suns, Rockets, and Denver. Uh, don't blink because you could be looking at you know a four-game losing streak if you don't bring the same mentality on the road as they have been at home. Um, what do you think it is that they're having such a difficult time beating? Not even, I wouldn't even say these are really good teams, Sage. I think these are, these were subpar teams they're playing on the road and they've really been controlled almost all the way through. I mean, you just kind of, you know, I was listening to most of them, but it's always like, they're always playing with a deficit and they just can't seem to either get the stops or they can't seem to get the scores. They just can't seem to string it together. What is it that's causing this team to play so poorly away from home? You know, I think the Blazers have always had a trouble with uh, with defending hot shooters. Like uh, with uh, wasn't it? Uh, shoot, who who on the Hornets went? Uh, Kelly, Kelly Oubre. Oubre, yeah, Harrison Barnes. There's just players that somehow get really hot against us, and it's obviously because of the way that we defend. It's the way we defend because, uh, you know, we have a 6'3 guard trying to tag the trailing or the rolling big man. So that's not going to work. And then we leave a corner spot open and the smart teams will just pass it to the open corner shooter. And now someone gets hot because they're wide open. So honestly, if we they have to get really good at tagging the rolling big or something needs to change defensively to make the, the wide open shooter, you know, less wide open. Um, I think for me, and this is a scary thought. We're not a good defensive team. I think they're making strides in that area, but more so it's Yusuf Nurkic. I think we've been touting him as the X factor really since he arrived in the 2016, 2017 season. And 
I don't think the the narrative is any different in, in this season. Um, you look at how well he plays at home, 14 points, 13 boards, only one and a half turnovers. He's shooting 60% from the field, which for him is fantastic. And he's getting to the line four times a night, which you want your big to do, especially if he's finishing around the rim on those pick and rolls. On the road, the numbers are abysmal, Sage. Is uh, it? Seven and a half points, 10 and a half boards. His turnovers double to three, and he cuts his free throw attempts in half. He only gets to the line twice. It's it's almost scary to think about how well this team plays with Yusuf Nurkic and how poorly they play with Yusuf Nurkic in just those high-variance kind of pendulum swings the team experiences with this center that has the ability to be a top-three center in the league and also has the ability to be like, is this guy a starting caliber player in, in the NBA? So I don't know if there's enough time left, you know, in his career, like it has he peaked um, because the Blazers have to have a decision to make, right? Like he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season. Where are they going? I think Portland's record, if we look back a year from now, or even in the off season and we say, what, what was the blazer record? You can probably almost pinpoint Yusuf Nurkic and just look at what he's done because it seems like as Nurk goes, the blazers go. Well, I agree with a lot of the points that you're making. I think that Chauncey Billups is also at fault for Yusuf's stats. Because if you look at Yusuf Nurkic, he's capped at 25 minutes. And I mentioned this a week ago. He does not get past 25 minutes in most games. The only time it is is when it's a competitive game that has a dynamic big that he has a chance to even get touch 30. I'm sure that the fans not liking him is a factor, but him only playing 23, 25 minutes in a, in a game also probably is a huge factor. Like he, he just doesn't get the minutes. He has to be perfect. He legitimately has to be perfect to get decent stats. So I, I don't know what it is. is. Do we have him on a minutes cap that we're not able to play him any more minutes than what is you know given but he he's just not playing enough minutes to if he's if he has a bad three possessions that ruins all of the statistical capabilities that he can get in a game chauncey billups will play cody zeller he'll play larry nance jr he'll play robert covington those minutes and sometimes it doesn't make sense because there's a legitimate seven footer on the court that Cody Zeller or Yusuf isn't guarding. It, it, it is extremely frustrating watching Chauncey Billups try and play his players' legitimate starters minutes. I think if the team is tr- truly locked in to winning with, with Damian Lillard, they have to make Yusuf Nurkic a priority. And what I mean by that is some players, you have to kind of turn them up to, to get them going. Yusuf Nurkic is one of those guys. Like he'll have games where he kind of looks like he's pouting and he'll have games where he's energetic. He is into it. You have to, as a coach, understand that player and figure out what makes them tick. The greatest coaches coach each player individually, not as a collective unit. And you find out whether some, some players like positive, you know, criticism, positive, you know, just compliments and say, Hey, but this could be done better. Do, do, do they like to be yelled at? Like, you don't know what gets a player going. 
this staff has to find out what gets Yusuf Nurkic going and do that from the jump. Because if you have somebody on your roster that has the potential to be an all-star, you know, you're kind of capped out with your assets about adding an additional all-star to this roster, but you have a player who is capable. You have to figure out a way to, to get the most out of that, that player because it's there. And we've seen it for the last five seasons when Nurk is engaged. This team's really goddamn hard to beat because it just adds a different element on offense. And you get an engaged big man on defense who is going to anchor uh, at least a, a top 15 defense. So here's use of Nurkett's minutes played for the entire year. 28 against Sacramento, 25 against uh, Phoenix with DeAndre Ayton, was a plus 29 in those 25 minutes. And some of these games were blowouts, though. Let's let's also. All right. Laker, uh, the Clippers, 23 minutes. Memphis, 23 minutes. There was Steven Adams for him to defend. Uh, Clippers, 22 minutes. Philadelphia, 28. Without Joel Embiid. But Andre Drummond. Cleveland, all of those bigs, 27 minutes. Indianapolis, Demonis, who was posting us the fuck up, and Miles Turner, 23 minutes. And Lakers in the blowout with 21. He doesn't. He's not playing nearly enough minutes, and we need to make sure that he's getting his opportunities because I, I get that his stats aren't great, but he's not really playing enough minutes to generate good stats unless he's perfect. And when you watched that Indiana game, Sabonis went off when Nurk was on the floor, off the floor. Can I go to my bad? Post big men get unlimited dribbles with the ball in the post when the Blazers play defense. Sabonis got eight dribbles whenever he wanted to post up. Uh, Jarrett Allen, who isn't the biggest post-up threat, got a million dribbles. Evan Mobley, who is a fucking unicorn, got a million dribbles to find his space and score. These are NBA post players. They're going to score if you give them that many dribbles. And I remember this clearly. Yusuf Nurkish was posting up. And it was Cleveland Cavaliers in this play. They sent a double from the wing, from the f- top of the arc. Like they were sending doubles and making use of pass. We did not send help a single time. And there was sometimes where we switched and had a 6-3 guard on Evan Mobley and we didn't send help. Bro, elementary basketball will tell you, if they're dribbling, you should double them and make them pass. We didn't send help a single time, and we lost the Cavaliers because of that shit. Like, that's the bad. Like, we don't send help in proper situations. I think our defenders are put on an island unnecessarily, and especially in the post, it is really bad because we shouldn't let a rookie FM Mobley get um, unlimited dribbles in the paint and – like Jared Allen had a career game against us because we didn't send help. It, it's not that difficult. It's also going to be, I think, a recurring theme when this team goes against size. And just think about our division. Cat, Jokic, Jokic Gobert, Whiteside. They're gonna they're going to have career games because we don't play our best center enough minutes and we don't send help on a post up. I, I, I'm flabbergasted that I'm talking about defending post-ups, but 
when some teams have them, Jokic is going to go for a career high against us. I'm I'm playing them aggressively in daily fantasy because that once they touch it in the paint, the reason the post up is dying is because we can send doubles from really short angles on the court. We're not doing that, so the post up is very alive when you play Rip City. What's your ugly for the week? Sage? I think we're sharing it. So you can. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If it's the same thing, I'll go ahead and uh, intro that. Uh, yeah. I think it's pretty easy for our ugly for the week is on Friday, Friday evening, maybe Saturday morning, depending on what time zone you're in. Shams, Chris Haynes, uh, a lot of media outlets reported that the Portland Trailblazers are hiring an an outside firm to investigate Neil O'Shea for facilitating a toxic work environment, including uh, bullying and intimidation. Uh, apparently, these complaints have been piled up for over 10 years. Uh, Chris Haynes reported today that they are now talking to current and former employees. It could be a few weeks until there is a resolution. But Sage, I have I have a lot of thoughts on this. Go ahead. Um, Go ahead, King. I question the motive, honestly. Um, not, not about Neil O'Shea. I think anybody who has viewed Neil O'Shea, how he treats the media, um, you can kind of get an, an asshole-ish vibe from him. That That's one thing to kind of be a jerk, but I, I think there's there's something to be said about uh, having, you know, to, to lace someone with, a, you know, ver- a verbal tirade. And I've seen people on- online and on forums say, oh, that's just how it, how it's done. You know, he's from New York. Fuck that. that. That's not how you conduct yourself human being to human being. If he was from New York and he talked with such disrespect to people, wouldn't he get a snot box fucking hit? Like, come on, dog. Yeah, like th- there's there's stop making stop. excuses for the grown fucking asshole man that is so arrogant and such a dick that he treats employees like shit. Life's too short to let some fucking loser yell at you. Exactly. And and you, you think about it, like this has been going on for 10 years. Why are you now just investigating it? Do you, do you want to fire him and not have to pay off the rest of his contract? That's three presidents, dog. Obama, it, it, Trump, and Biden. He's been doing it, this. That is almost as soon as he became an employee of the Portland Trailblazers is when these complaints go back to. So I, I have a lot of questions about the motive here. I'm sure every Blazer fan, damn near every Blazer fan, wants him gone. But I also want to know why, why is this, why is this taking place? You know, obviously it, it's, it's terrible what is being, you know, alleged uh, of Neil Olshay's behavior, but why is it taken so long? I mean, it's, it's been 10 years. It's been documented. Is, is HR at fault a little bit here? Like is like who is not stepping up to the plate and actually helping out these employees who are, are complaining and, I have a secondhand story uh, that kind of verifies at least some of this behavior. I, I was an employee for two to three years during Neil Olshay's Best social career. media manager ever. Thank you, my friend. So working in social media, I was hand in hand with, with, with marketing. And I'm not going to name any names because one of the employees is still employed with the organization. 
but we were just, you know, kind of shooting the breeze and it was getting ready to launch the 2013, 2014 season. You know, that was the year we beat Houston in the first round and things were, were looking up. So it was that year we kind of caught everybody, everybody by surprise, but we were rolling out some marketing materials and it was also two years prior to LaMarcus wanting out or, or being a free agent. So LaMarcus was front and center of the starting five on some of the marketing materials, but also our, our, the, the, the person in charge decided to put, you know, Damian Lillard, unanimous rookie of the year. He's got the buzz. Everyone's really excited about him after that rookie performance. Let's put him front and center uh, of some of these marketing materials. Neil Shea calls him up and just unleashes on him. What are you doing? LaMarcus has to be front and center. We have to do everything to cater to him. And I'm I'm using very clean language. I didn't know the words that were used, but it was, he was irate, pissed off. And that's one of the reasons why I, I believe a lot of this to be true. And I think a lot of it's going to, to come to light. And that's just not a way you treat people. And more importantly, Sage, this has just been a really rough, really rough four to five months for this franchise. When you go back to the press conference immediately after Terry Stotts is fired, you've got Neil Olshay throwing a coach who gave nine years to the franchise under the bus. You know, the infamous, it's not the roster's problem. Um, he hires Chauncey Billups, despite having no experience and having major sexual assault allegations against him. When those allegations came to light, Neil O'Shea did not inform the public of the vetting process of what they did. He actually said, had it not been a big deal on social media, they wouldn't have even touched on that at the press conference. You have the infamous water bottle and wink to the PR person when uh, Sean Hyken and Jason Quick are asking questions about the, the involvement of the, the outside firm for these allegations. You have the outside firm that the team hired get fired because they're sharing pornographic images on, on their Twitter feed. I mean, it, it just continues to get worse and worse for, for this franchise. I mean, then you have the, the, the fan alienation, not only with the hiring, the way it was done, how the fans felt lied to, but then taking a cash grab from Root Sports and that being just a challenge for just the everyday fan to watch the, their favorite team play and getting kind of put to the sideline by the Seattle Kraken in, in a lot of instances. Um, you have assistant coach Milt Palacio or former assistant coach Milt Palacio uh, fired weeks into his tenure after being tied into an FBI allegation uh, regarding insurance fraud. And then you have all of the Damian Lillard, will he or won't he go uh, basically throughout the summer. So it has just been incredibly a toxic time to follow this franchise for a lot of fans who have a lot of years invested in this franchise. And I, it just feels like we're almost at the tip of the iceberg. Like I think there's a lot more to be, to be uncovered, unfortunately. And it's, it's really unfortunate that it's taken 10 years. And I really want to go back to the people that were affected by this. It's taken them 10 years to feel like they've had a voice and it's it, it sucks that powerful people in charge are just allowed to kind of do whatever the fuck they want. For those employees that 
have worked their entire lives to contribute to the team that they love and then have some dickhead be a complete asshole to them. It has to be so rough for everybody that has worked for him and that has dealt with the anger issues and angry and angry small losers with a lot of power is is trying to make your life harder. It it legitimately sucks. Fuck Neil O'Shea. He should be fired. So we got a few questions surrounding that. So I kind of want to dive right into that, Sage. So the first, the first question uh, we got from, from our friend, uh, Bob, Bob Deeger. Thank you for sending this one in, Bob. He says, a follow-up question from a couple of episodes ago. If Olshay is fired this season, does, the, does that impact how you approach supporting the team going forward? And that is a fantastic question. And it's something that honestly I, racks my brain on a daily basis. I, I have a lot of time where I just, you know, I work from home. So, you know, in between working or whatever, like, or I'm just taking out the trash, like I'm always thinking and the sports takes up a large portion of my, my thought process. And it's been a trying time for me as a fan. Uh, I've been a fan since 1990. So it's like almost 32 years invested in, in a franchise. Most of the people who I come into contact with associate me with probably being a trailblazer fan. That's how I break the ice more times than not. It's how I, you know, chat about, it's how I talk to my family a lot. Everything kind of gets kickstarted talking about sports and and the blazers. So everything that I just touched on over the past four or five months has been devastating to me. It's been really hard to get excited about this, this franchise. And it's been more about, okay, let's just remove the emotion and then just watch it from maybe a more objective perspective. So a lot of the the fandom has been removed. I think it's a good first step. I'm not going to go out and buy season tickets all of a sudden, just because Neil O'Shea is potentially shown the door. I think it's a good first step. I want to see more from the franchise. I want to, I hope some reporters ask those questions. Why did it take 10 years? What did they find out? And if he isn't let go, I mean, that that's just would be, I think, a gut punch to uh, a lot of fans uh, around this franchise. But again, it, it's a good first step. But you got to f- show us how you're fostering a good a good work culture, a good work environment. Um, I would like to see them just acknowledge what happened with the coaching hire, because I, I think they're going to try to get off scot-free with that. And again, this isn't about whether... I believe Chauncey is innocent or guilty. It's about just like we're talking about the people impacted by Neil Olshay's work environment. I'm talking about the victims of domestic and sexual assault, right? Every time they see Chauncey coach, they can be reminded of that. Yeah. And every time, you know, Jason Kidd's shown on TV, like powerful men in sports tend to get forgiven much quicker and at a much rapid, more rapid pace. Absolutely. Ab- absolutely. So what is the team going to do? Like, I, it would have been wonderful if they said, we're partnering with this, you know, domestic violence, sexual assault organization locally, and every three-pointer we hit, we're donating X amount. Like, that, that doesn't mean that you say that Chauncey is guilty. 
that just means that we see you, we hear you, we know this hire is a sensitive subject. And if they just would have made an effort rather than they thought they could just go about their business and nobody would care and that they could do what they want because they're the Portland Trailblazers and that people will follow them blindly. Yeah, because your parents fucked in Portland doesn't mean we have to be fans of your stupid team. You know, that's that's kind of the the nature of it. So again, I think it would be a really good first step, but what what else are you going to do? And then I think it also goes to uh, what direction is the franchise going in, Sage? Like, are are we cool just running it back? Like, because we're five and five, could be eight and two, nine and one with the schedule. Could All be the one and ten. One, yeah, there's just there's a lot of variance. I think. I think the Blazers probably over the past two years have been like, okay, one more year, one more year. Like, like we'll, we'll keep giving it one more year. And it's like, well, how many more years until it can just be one more year? Like everyone loves Dame, but can we, can we actually make an attempt to find another running mate next to him that is on his level? Or can we do him a solid and send him to a contender and, and, be self-aware enough to say the rebuild needs needs to happen. Like I think their, their current just process of staying stagnant has become a little stale. And I think that's kind of the vibe that I pick up from some fans that I talk about, you know, it's yes, it is the Chauncey stuff, but are, are we seeing the, the same, are we watching the same movie over and over again? Are, are we getting a little tired of that same movie? And so I think we all want to win with Damon CJ, but I think a lot of us are also aware enough to say like, I, I just don't know if it's, if it's going to happen and what can we do to either improve the product or maybe just hit the reset button and say, you know, we, we gave it a good college try. Let's let, let's kind of do some really draft picks. Yeah. You know, like draft picks can be fun. It's always like, think about, I always try and think about how fun it was when we drafted Dame like having that, that hope, like we, we possibly could watch this guy for the next 10 to 15 years and just, you know, seeing him climb and ascend. And it was no different with Brandon and LaMarcus and, and then Greg, like having that young core, but Portland's also been guilty of letting cores kind of go too long and those first round exits, or maybe a very late lottery pick. And like, it's, it's unfortunate given the nature of the NBA landscape, you have to be either really good or kind of really shitty, like to have one in 10, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Like making the playoffs, like it just, it's not, not enough, not anymore, not in Portland. Like we've, we're, it's a goal, but it's not the goal. Exactly. You want to, you want to, you want to make the playoffs, but like, okay, next year, can we go further? Like how, how can we continue to go? I think Portland made the Western conference finals and it's just been like a, a, a regression. So like that is a long winded answer, but I'm, I'm I'm still waiting. Like I, I need to see more from from this team. I, I ultimately like I would love to see Jody Allen sell the team to a more engaged owner. Uh, obviously, somebody that would keep the team locally in Portland. I think that's a given, given how well the market responds to the Blazers. Given the lease, I believe with the the arena with the city is until 2026. Adam Silver knows Portland is a basketball town. We're the only team in the Northwest. I just want to see an owner that's not going to be so hands-off like you can definitely tell that there is no leadership 
with the organization, given all of the decisions. Yeah. Neil gets to do whatever the fuck he wants. Chris McGowan does. Chris McGowan is like the CEO of the Seahawks, of the Rose Quarter and the Blazers. Like that dude stretched way too thin. And we, we need somebody that's going to come in and say, Blazers, Blazers, Blazers. This is my passion. This is what I want. And here I'm going to find the right people and I'm going to empower them to do that job. I think Portland is lacking a significant amount of leadership in those those core positions. Like I want to get, like I tweeted out, fire Neil, sell the team, take the steps to restore Blazer Mania back because right now it, it, it's not there. And it's a damn shame because you have one of the greatest trailblazers of all time in their prime still ready to ride or die for that jersey on that that he puts on every single night so it's it's going to be a process it's i i'm fully aware of that it's not something that's going to happen overnight but uh the first step is getting the report from these you know outside firms and what they find and you know we'll kind of go from there i work harder to watch games this year than i have in my entire life of you know doing this show if he gets fired i'll probably i mean i'm still legally gonna watch every game so i might go to some games but you know like the fact that we're so engaged in the community it kind of makes it so i can't really not watch the game the hardest part of stopping to be a fan is disengaging from the blazer community or the, the whatever team community that you're a part of that's the hardest part and it it's obvious that you and I both haven't done that. So, you know, I mean, straight up Sage, if, if we didn't do the, I wouldn't care. Yeah. If, if I didn't, the only reason that I'm listening to the games and, and paying attention to the results and looking around like what they're doing is so I can be here with you every Sunday and yeah. podcast, because I value this, this time and it's, it's fun to talk about. But, you know, if we didn't have the holy backboard, oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. not even not even a thought in my mind, it would be so much easier to just pay for league pass, watch my Pelicans, watch other teams that are fun. But no, I have to go on crackstreams.com and watch a fucking shitty feed of this Blazer team, try and communicate with people that I enjoy talking to online, you know, like. If it wasn't for the community, I would not do this. We have some follow-up questions surrounding uh, this news. So I want to continue with the fan questions and keep that rolling. Uh, one of my favorite people in our community uh, is Catherine at Kat Renzer on Twitter. Catherine wants to know, Sage, who would be in the running for oh. you as the replacement GM should that spot open up? Let me let me clear my table so I can pound this table on who I think should be the president of basketball operations for this team. It's the same guy I want as the head coach, and that's Charles Lee. Actually, this is a very delicate desk. But the rumor in NBA circles is that Charles Lee has learned from uh, Milwaukee's uh, president of basketball operations knows all the CBA rules, knows how to scout players. I think that Charles Lee can either be the head coach of a team or the president of basketball operations for a team 
in the next few years and be really great at it. The way he connects with players, the way he connects with humans is exactly the type of leadership that we want. He's incredibly good at hands-on shit. And with the general managership of the Portland Trailblazers, it's not just these 15 players and my two-way contracts. The general manager of the team is in charge of a lot more than that. And you need to be able to connect with human beings because there's a lot of black tie dinners. And when you have an old, uh, old grouchy white man who loves, th- uh, loves to be a dick, it probably is a strain on everybody that is going to these events and, you know, picking is the dog race going to be on the Pistons game or the Lakers game. So there's a lot of things that you have to go through with being a general manager or president of basketball operations. So no, my number one pick is Charles Lee because I'll post videos of him on our Twitter so you can see how he connects with people. And if what people are saying in Milwaukee and in other places for uh, in the NBA, that he's going to be a great president of basketball operations, I want to be the first person to take a look at him. Question for you. What skill sets do you value the most in a general manager? Well, I think that it's a, it's a leadership, bro. Like you have to be a selfless leader. And I think that that is the antithesis of what Neil O'Shea is. So I want a, a leader that's willing to serve. And obviously knowing basketball is important, but who you are as a human being, thinking of these players as people instead of a means to an end. So I want my leader and my general manager to treat people like people. And it's obvious in the last 10 years of Neil O'Shea, he did not accomplish that goal once. I agree with that. I also think it's important to have a, a strong staff around the general manager because I don't need my general manager to be the smartest when it comes to the salary cap. You should have a salary cap guru as your right-hand person that says, yeah, we can do this. We can find creative ways to make this happen. What I want to see from a a general manager, you you need to have someone who can negotiate, who can speak to people, who can respect people. You want somebody that is going to strike that balance between aggressiveness, but also not overreacting, not being a knee-jerk kind of of GM. Like a Daryl Morey, I would say, is kind of a knee-jerk GM. He wants the fanciest, shiniest shit every uh, every year. And I think... Danny Ainge is kind of on the opposite where he, he wasn't just aggressive enough. Kevin He's Pritchard, too risk averse. Yes. Kevin Pritchard, the same, you know, the cake has got to bake all, all, all of those sayings that Blazer fans are, are familiar with. So I think it's, you have to just have that golden gut, like a, a, a Masai Ujiri, like he knew DeMar and Kyle weren't working. I may only get one season with Kawhi Leonard, but God damn it. I'm going to roll the dice. So you have to have a little bit of, you know, riverboat gambler in you. And so I think that's important. And I think it's just important that they're a good scout. Like they, they are a basketball junkie. I want them at the, at college games. I want them scouting. I want them to keep the farm system stocked. I think that's what keeps franchises afloat are those first round picks on those team friendly deals, especially if you're picking later on in that first round, like Portland's fate, we could be in such a different point with this franchise had we just done our job in 2017 that set the franchise back probably more than anything else. And we were the 2020 draft. I mean, yeah, you look at Portland has spent three first round picks on Nance and Covington, and they're already in the 2020 draft were players who I would say I would take over both of them. So 
you have to just, it's a tough position. That's why the, the great GMs are so sought after. But you look at a guy like James Jones, who came in and struck all the right chords. He, he went out and found a leader in Chris Paul. He went out and found a perfect role player in Jay Crowder, kind of got everything to mesh, and he seems to be pushing the right buttons. It's almost like a head coach. You go out and get you get the right head coach to run the system, to talk to players, to lead them. It's 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 a tandem. So it wouldn't just be the GM. It would then be, are they going to roll with Chauncey? Are they going to say, no, I want my own head coach? So it this is going to be a process in Portland. It's going to get messy. It's going to be uncomfortable. Uh, I think this this franchise has dug itself very, very deep. And they're just just now starting to realize maybe we should stop digging and try to find our way back up. And so I think that's that that's where we're at. Maybe we haven't hit rock bottom yet, but it's if if we haven't, it, it is damn close. Sage, we had another question surrounding the, the GM search um, from at playist underscore four, two, four, seven wants to know is Danny Ainge the right man for the job or is he the perfect man for the job? He's from Oregon, right? Danny Ainge is from Eugene. He was a all everything athlete ended up playing professionally for the blue Jays. He's 62 years old. Oh God, man. Obviously won the title with, uh, the Celtics before playing two years in Portland. Uh, he has been a head coach before with the Suns. He's been the GM, seems like forever with the Celtics. But yes, he won a championship in Boston. But let's not forget how that was accomplished. Like he got a major, major favor from former teammate Kevin McHale. I mean, Al Jefferson in change for Kevin Garnett. Uh, There's cool. a lot of luck in this shit. <laughs> There's a lot of, and you're, you're banking on that one chip. They won one chip. They also were the beneficiaries of arguably the biggest fleece mm-hmm. in professional sports history and have nothing to show of it. Haven't even made one finals after all of those picks. Sage, we talked about a, a GM having to be a leader. We talked about a GM having to know how to talk to people and treat people well. Danny Ainge, I think, is ruined around the league. And with, with agents kind of got the griff thing about him with players. And it was all because of Isaiah Thomas, whether you can say that was the right decision to make or not, this isn't NBA 2k. When you have a player who was an MVP candidate, like Isaiah Thomas was play in a playoff game, just days after his sister has passed away and you send him packing the next season that's going to rub everyone the wrong way. You have to be self-aware. You have to know what the optics are going to look like. So you can argue until you're blue in the face that that was the right trade to trade Isaiah Thomas and what would turn out to be Colin Sexton for Kyrie Irving. But optics-wise, there's just something you can't do. And Kyrie left him. Kyrie left his ass. It was a disaster for Kyrie. So I'm just saying that that one decision, I think, has scarred Danny Ainge's reputation uh, how many times have we heard a player's father or parents or system or, or excuse me, um, just kind of like their, their entourage or who their support system, excuse me, say, I won't play for Boston. I haven't heard it for any other team, but I think it was Anthony Davis's dad was like, I'm, he's not signing in Boston. Anthony Davis's father is a fucking asshole though. <laughs> that, 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 that's be, beside the point, but like that struck a chord 
with a lot of the community in the NBA. And I, I just, I don't think it's something that he's going to come back from. He's always going to be the, be known as the guy who traded Isaiah Thomas after Isaiah basically left his heart and soul on the parquet. Yeah. I mean, how about this? All right. I'll have, remember the past for the holy and I'll write a, uh, I'll write the general uh, thing on the general managers that I think would be a good fit for the Blazers. And I don't think Danny Ainge will make my list. Like one thing I've learned from the Stan Van Gundy disaster in new Orleans is when the, when a employee of a team is just too old and is kind of sick of all the bullshit and just wants to get to the meat of the thing. That's when, you know, being short with somebody is negatively going to affect them. I think that Danny Ainge has been in this, been in the game for years and has made him an animal, but <laughs> I thought you would like that. But I mean, like, I think that we need to have some new blood with some new innovations. I, I so are you going to write Sage's 10 GM commandments? Oh, yes, I will now. <laughs> but like, like, I don't want, like, a retread doesn't sound cool to me because that they could be the same exact person as Neil O'Shea, just in a happier form. Exactly. I do not want to retread at this position. Obviously, if Masai... Yeah, is uh, if an elite one comes on the... But who's going to come out today? Exactly. So I'm saying if an elite one is not available, I want I want an up-and-comer who's willing, not willing, but who is excited to take ownership of this position. I, I really look at the parallels at the University of Oregon football team. As soon as Mario Cristobal took over, there, there is an enthusiasm and energy that he exudes, and his assistants exude that as well. And I almost look at being a GM as a football coach in the sense of recruiting is a grind, but you have to be charismatic. You have to identify talent. You have to go and speak to people. You have to win over not only the the player, but their family. Like you, you have to be a good dude. And most importantly, because if you don't do this, they're going to call you out on your shit. You have to keep your promises because word is going to get out that you're a liar. word, Word is bond. Word is very much so bond. So I, I think I want an up and comer who is he's this like excited. Like I want somebody to come into work every day. Like I am excited. What am I going to do? And that leads me into our next and final fan question. Bro, I've spent the last like two podcasts that I was on talking about Charles Lee for general managership. And I didn't know the Neil O'Shea thing was going to happen on the first one that I did. <laughs> so we have a question from Justin B leak. Justin wants to know if you were hired as GM, what's your first move? Also, if Marvin Bagley was a blazer, would he and Dame have to battle rap at center court before every game? No. Cause that shit's trash. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan of the battle rap, but, and I, I would much rather those two collaborate together and make a mixtape than battle rap each other. But I thought you're going to get corny and say, I hope they collaborate on the court. No. Um, <laughs> no. What would your first uh, move be? I would trade one of the... Well, no. I would... I would make it so that the Blazers are much more communicative and have 
I would want to make sure that the Blazers stand for something that's good. Before I make any changes to the team itself, I want to change the ideal team changes. Damn it. What are you going to do? I would trade one of our guards for a wing, not Ben Simmons. Okay. But then I would also get fired pretty quickly because I would just learn the, uh, learn minute rotations and do daily fantasy and then get caught and it would be a whole thing. Uh, assuming I can't change coaches to Charles Lee, like our conditions, <laughs> he, may, he may is taken. So assuming a coaching change is, is in, in the works, I think I would have an honest one-on-one sit down with Damian Lillard and just get everything on the table. And because I read his piece with Chris Haynes and I think I love Dame. I think he's a bit delusional uh, in terms of how good he thinks CJ and Yusuf are in comparison. Cause he was kind of talking about the Phoenix suns. And I was like, bro, this team's nowhere near what Phoenix was last year. Phoenix is a perfectly balanced team and Aiton is above Yusuf Nurkic and Devin Booker is, is above CJ McCollum. So I would have an honest conversation with Dame that says, if you're in, I'm in. Okay. What that means then is we have to trade. We have to trade your best friend. Like, I, I, I'm sorry. Like that has to happen. And then I look for the best move to, to balance the team out. Because like you said, we have four guards. Anthony is, is playing fantastic. Norman Powell needs more touches. I, I think. And we can't, can't trade him because he was just signed, right? The 30, 16, 15th. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even so, I, I don't think you're looking to trade Norman because it's more it's either Ann or CJ, right? If Dame Yeah, and right now I think you're still selling a bit low on Anthony. I think you want to see where he's gonna go. There, there's still a lot of untapped potential with him and the seer. So in any trade, you kind of want to keep those guys that you feel like by the end of the season they're significantly better than where they're at now and even have higher steps to take before they even get to their ceiling. And Norman just plays a different game than CJ. CJ is probably a better player, but you're looking at, you need to look at what's going to complement your superstar. And I CJ McCollum just doesn't compliment Dame. And that's not a knock on CJ. It's just when they were drafted, they are very similar players. They've, it's a reason why they don't ever really go off during the same game. It's always CJ you're hot, Dame. Okay, cool. I'm gonna let you let you cook, and, and vice versa. I I would look and find. Any, you got to go out and see if there's that that wing that that's going to make the team better. And I think you have to have a really probably have to look at the bring a bunch of other people in and say, what are we going to do with Yusuf Nurkic? Yes, he is so valuable, but he's also so inconsistent. He's going to want a big payday. Uh, you don't want to sell low. You also don't want to sign him to probably a long-term deal. It's it's so difficult to decide where this franchise is going to go. And then maybe if, if you test the market and you say, we can't really get anything for, for CJ that we feel is equal value because we're not going to just sell CJ for pennies on the for dollar nothing, either. Yeah. Then maybe you have to ride it out a bit and go up into that trade deadline and, and evaluate <clears throat> where you're at there and it might come to Dame. We we just can't we can't get it. We have to we have to be like, and, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with, with Toy Story. You know, you have, you have Andy who grows up and has all these toys who come to life when they get played with and interacted with. 
Well, in the third movie, Andy goes to college and, and these toys are just kind of stuck in the box. You know, they don't get played with. It's kind of, they're not really living. And I kind of feel like that's what Dame's doing right now in Portland, being a, a perennial first round exit. Like he, he's not really getting to enjoy basketball life. And at the end of the movie, Andy finds his toys a new home and Bonnie and Bonnie plays with them. And the toys just are fucking psyched. I got to say, this is meta Sage and meta Dustin. You're this... talking about movies and I'm talking about hip hop. <laughs> I mean, it, it just, it kind of, when I was reading the article, it, it kind of came to me like Dame is so far invested in, in a good way in, in winning a chip with Portland. I just don't want to see him look back on his career and say, damn, I probably should have asked out. And if I was the GM, I would want to be honest enough with Dame and said, I think I'm doing this for your own good. Like, we'll find you a good spot. I, I want to see you succeed. I want to see you win a championship. I want to see you play late into June. And the roster we have just is not going to cut it. And I think it would be beneficial for both parties because you're not on a treadmill. You're, you're not just continuously being at the bottom of that playoff race. You can kind of hit that, that refresh and you get, you know, a haul for this, this top 10 player. And then Dame gets to still be recognized as a trailblazer when his career's all, all over, but also get a chance to play at that level without it feeling like he's just joining a super team. And I, I know Dame wants to win here and every Blazer fan wants to see him win here, but if I was GM and certain things fell a certain way, you, you may have to just have the, again, the self-awareness and just say like, Hey, I think another team could use you more, more than we could. Like we had a great run together, but let's not, let's not spoil it. Like that, again, that's another thing that I've been thinking about was like, I don't want these last few years of Dame to be like, what, what, where did we go? What did we miss? Like, is it going to be Dominique Wilkins in Atlanta where he just, yeah, he dunks really great and had that one performance against bird in, in the, the late eighties in the playoff series, but he really never played deep into the postseason. Like I want to see Dame kind of get validated. Like Chris Paul got validated this off season or this, this uh, last season when he actually made it to the finals. Like Paul was always known for the guy that couldn't get to the Western conference finals. He does with Houston. Then he gets hurt. Well, then he goes to Phoenix and he turns that franchise around. Like, I want to, I'm, I'm a huge Blazer fan, always have been. Damian Lillard is one of the few players that I think transcends the, oh, I only root for the front of the jersey, not the back. I root for the back of the jersey when it comes to Damian Lillard as well. Like I would follow him wherever franchise he decides to go to and actively root for him, just as I did with Clyde. I was so excited as a kid when Clyde won that title in 95. Like I felt like he got some validation. Like he, he put in the blood, sweat, and tears in Portland. It just didn't work. Same thing with, with Damien here. He has gave everything and then some probably more than any other blazer has ever given. And if he were to go to Philadelphia, New York, wherever I'm rooting for that dude, like hardcore wanting him to win a title. So I think our new GM, hopefully one will be coming around the corner soon needs to, needs to be honest with ownership as well. And saying, here's where we're at. If you really hired me, if you trust me for my expertise, this is what we need to do. We need to A, try to win with Dame, but B, 
really pivot if that's not going to happen because the, the, this it's it's coming to a head right now with this franchise. What they're going to sooner or later they're going to have to make a decision because Neil Olshay's got them kind of in this this game of chicken right now, and, mm. and both cars, you know, the train on each side of the tracks is is coming, and hopefully. They, they decide sooner or later what, what they want to do. So, I mean, thank you to all of our listeners for, for those questions. They were fantastic. And mm-hmm, absolutely. I, I was really thought provoked by what I was going to, to say, because again, I think about this shit all the time. I only think about Charles Lee all the time and how he <laughs> fucked up, but. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> is there anybody else out there aside from Charles Lee? I mean, Sharif Abdurrahim is the uh, G League. Uh, yeah, he's the commissioner of the uh, G League and has always wanted to be in a front office. And since he was a, a former Blazer, he might be a good one. But, you know, there, there's the the analytic GMs. There's the the, the player GMs. Where do you but, side on that? If you're, you're picking the new GM, do you? What what percentage like 50 50, 60 40? And how do you divide? I don't that want point? the I don't want the I would like them to be analytical with it, but they can't be so analytical that they can't talk to a person as a person. So it's yeah. gotta they they have to they have to possess some special skills for this specialized ass job. So I'm thinking I would want 65 35 personal versus analytical. Like, I think analytics are important, but it's, it's not everything. I think the way you interact with somebody can unleash their potential in much more, yeah, much more ways. I mean, you look at Bob Witsit, who wasn't analytically driven, but he was just like talent, 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 mm. talent. He was a hundred percent talent, zero yeah. percent, fuck everything else. And, and you saw, did you see the, the uh, collapse about it? Yeah, I watched the secret base on on that. Yeah, that I, was, I didn't know if I was should have shared it with you or just let it let it ride. No, it was. Uh, I mean, we, we all. I, I've read the Jailblazers book. I mean, I, I I lived that. Like that was my my high school years when when all of that was going down. And the players, I think, fed into Bob Witzett's mindset of, oh God, if I don't perform, they're going to bring in somebody else, and he's going to kick me to the bench. And you can't be looking over your shoulder as a player. You have to be confident in knowing that the coach and the GM and everybody within the organization has, has faith in you. You're going to get your X amount of shots, X amount of minutes. We trust you. You can go in there. You can mess up. You can work through it. You can play through it. Bob Wissett was the opposite. It's like, you have a bad game, dude. Sorry, Damon. Sorry, Greg Anthony. We're bringing in Rod Strickland because we we need a third string point guard for some reason. And sorry, Stacey Ogman. We're going to bring in like 40-year-old deadlift shrimp. Like Stacey Ogman was playing great in that absence uh, during the 2000-2001 oh, season. And it just, it, it fucks with everybody's mental. And when you're unhappy, yeah, you're going to be grouchy maybe at the coach for something that you wouldn't have been grouchy with him for. And it just when you get such a close knit team of 15 guys, it just trickles down. Like somebody's pissed off here. Well, I'm, I'm and just all of a sudden, everyone's just pissed off. And the slightest of thing is going to kind of just, you know, light this fuse and kaboom. And that's really what we saw when you have a GM in Bob Witsit who doesn't factor in everything. And you look at the good GMs around this league and they're, they're understanding they're knowledgeable and they just 
they get it. it it's, this job comes second nature to them. It's, it's not hard for them to communicate. Communication on the court and off the court is so vital. I need somebody that's able to talk to people and connect with people. That's how you get free agents. The GMs go in there and, and they make it happen. Sage. Did you? Oh, oh, yeah. You obviously saw it. But like the way that Willie Green talked to Trey Murphy, I'm not calling you out. I'm calling you up is the yeah. type of leadership that you want from your coach and, and general manager. And it's obvious that right now with the Blazers, it, it's I'm calling you out, not calling you up with how Chauncey and Neil are approaching things. So it's it, you're talking about how things have gone bad for other GMs in Blazers history. It, it, it's happening now. We're, we're witnessing history with, you know, the negativity and all of the uh, other things that Neil and, and Chauncey are doing right now to this team. And, and obviously the ownership, Chris McGowan as well, like a lot of shit's happening. We're, we're witnessing history with, with this franchise currently. All right, Sage, let's look ahead to this week's slate of games. As I mentioned earlier, it is road heavy. Portland plays at the Clippers. This will be the third time in 11 games Portland has faced the Clippers. So uh, a lot of familiarity between the two teams. They play in Los Angeles on Tuesday, a back-to-back against the Phoenix Suns on Wednesday. Again, the second time this season those two teams have met. Friday, they have to play uh, at Houston, a team that has been given a lot of other teams fits. Despite their, despite their dismal record, they are making other teams work for it. And then Sunday, a trip to the Mile High City to take on the Denver Nuggets uh, division rival, a team that bounced them out of the first round last year, reigning MVP Nikola Jokic, uh, on and on. So many storylines. Sage, first off with the Clippers, Portland's already seen this team twice. They've split each, each team winning, winning at home. Probably the ugliest performance of the season happening uh, in Los Angeles in that 30-point loss. What what can the Blazers do to avoid another defeat on the road? Not giving shooters like Luke Gennard and Paul George open jumpers. Yeah. Paul George has feasted against the Blazers. Yeah. Cause we leave them open, but specifically this season. And yeah, every time I listen to that, it's Luke Kennard open for three. Like he's that, that's the one thing that guy does is shoot the basketball. I think and the Luke Kennard thing is that our guards are unwilling to fight over the screen. They kind of died on the screen for Kennard had a ceiling game, one of those two games. And it was a lot of whoever was defending Luke on the, the screen died. And Yusuf isn't the fastest dude in the world. So he couldn't run to contest it. So it, it's a lot, it's going to be a lot of desire. Like, are we going to get in a stance and fight around screens on shooters? Is that is that what we're going to do? Because if we are, I think we win this game. But if we're sagging and not helping the helper, we're going to lose. And Luke Kennard, Paul George, all of those shooters, Reggie Jackson, they're going to feast on us. So I, I, th- I think it's all about defense on the pick and roll. Yeah, I mean, I think Portland's got to take care of the basketball. You look at the, the first time they played in Los Angeles, uh, 30 turnovers uh, against the against the Clippers, that's not going to get it done. And again, we've seen the Blazers struggle when opposing teams are able to rack up the assists. Uh, the Los Angeles Clippers ended up with 
37 assists on 44 made field goals. That's almost (laughs) unheard of. So that goes to show me that teams that are willing to dribble, penetrate, swing the ball around the perimeter, make the extra pass. If you make this blazer defense work, you can find your open. You can, you can find your open look. So that's what I'm going to be looking for is can Portland keep the turnovers down and can they make other teams play isolation basketball? It's going to be no easy feat. Then going the next night to the red hot Phoenix suns, a, a team that has started off slow, but has won four straight. They are now uh, five and three on the season, four and two at home. It's a team that has Portland's attention. Uh, Portland absolutely destroyed them by 29 points. Uh, back in the second game of the season. So this is, this is, I think, you know, I said it last week, I thought the Laker game would be the litmus test, but obviously with Anthony Davis being hurt and LeBron James not playing, it really wasn't the test we were, we were looking to see um, from an opponent. So I think this road trip, but specifically this Phoenix Suns game will be the litmus test. I mean, you're looking at the reigning Western conference champions, right? How, how are you going to play on the second night of a back-to-back in their gym in a place that you've struggled to win at in, in recent in recent memory, um, especially after beating them by 29 in your place? I mean, it's only been 10, 11 games. Teams remember getting the, their butt kicked. What, oh, yeah, they're going to be grumpy. Yeah, what do the Blazers <clears throat> do to stop the, the Suns? Do multiple defensive uh, schemes against Chris Paul. If you just hedge, you're going to die. If you just play drop, you're going to die. You have to make him think, because if you don't make him think, he's going to make the right decision every time and get his guys open threes or lobs. So I think it has to be, you have to really make Chris Paul think. And if you can't do that defensively, you don't deserve to win. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see. I think we could get a a small ball matchup out there with maybe just one big for for each team. I think you like the four guard lineup. I'm not a fan of playing it in long stretches. I think if maybe you need like a shot of adrenaline, maybe to change things up if uh, the game's not going your way. I think it's a good way to get get out in get out and push the tempo. Obviously, sp- spread the floor. It's it's really risky, and I think that the right coach will know when to pull the plug on it because obviously sooner or later you're going to get killed. Right, you're going to get killed on the boards. Teams will start to figure out. Oh, I can. Yeah, Trey Drummond comes in and gets five straight rebounds. Yeah, you, you can start to do certain things like that. So it's good for a shot in the arm, but in general, especially when you have four subpar defenders, and I. It, it's I, not I, my, I don't like it. I, no, I legitimately it, it, don't. It's like not it. my cup of tea. Hell, I don't like the three guard lineup. I, I want to see the best teams are the most balanced teams, right? That that's what I want to see. So, I mean, going even further in the opposite direction, um, if you need to try it to kind of switch things up, by all means, go for it. But the, the the right coach knows when to okay revert back and say, okay, we we've given you enough of this look. I'm going to zig while you zag, and not just you know kind of stay very predictable in that lineup for, for too long. Absolutely. Up next will be the Houston Rockets. Uh, this isn't your dad's Houston Rockets stage. Uh, no more uh, James Harden, no more Chris Paul, obviously no more contention. This team is hit the rebuild button. They hit the reset button in a big hurry. One in nine on the year. They've lost eight straight games. 
but they've currently only played three home games and they took the Lakers down to the wire. Uh, Jalen Green is a young gun. I mean, he has all of the potential. Just he's a walking. He's, he's just a waiting highlight reel ready to happen. And they have some really fun players. Uh, you know, they've got Kenyon Martin Jr., Christian Wood. They can make life. Kevin Ward Jr. Yeah, KPJ. Exactly. He's tall. He, how are we going to guard him at point guard? They can make life hell for the Blazers if Portland doesn't want to win this game. I mean, oh, easily. We they lost the, to the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Sixers without Embiid and Simmons and Tobias Harris. So if Portland doesn't have their mental right, this can be a loss. Oh, e- easily. This team plays hard and is fun and has tall players. Like, who's going to guard KPJ to start the game? I think the the Christian Wood Yusuf Nurkic matchup will tell us everything we oh, need. Oh, easily. Know. Oh, that uh, pick and roll is going to be nasty. Even Eric Gordon could go off on us because of our defense. We use a wing to tag the rolling big. So if Eric Gordon's going to catch and shoot all night, it's going to be a long day for us. Jalen, KPJ, Wood, and let's just throw Eric Gordon in. Which of the four scares you the most? Christian Wood. We've struggled with big men this year. Yeah, especially on the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. He's got the ability to not only pick and pop like a Miles Turner, but he can finish on lobs like Jared Allen. Like he's one of the most underrated players you probably have never heard about because he plays for a team that's never Sucks. on television. Yeah. I mean, shit. I think all four of them can be very scary. And then you go to their bench and they got guys that are going to be grinders. Like Jay Sean Tate doesn't want to go back to Australia. He wants to continue to play in the NBA. Sangoon's trying to prove that he is a good big. They traded two first round picks for them. They've got guys that are going to fight like dogs to win this game. DJ They're Augustine young. doesn't want to retire. Who? DJ Augustine does not oh, want to retire. No, he wants to make them checks. Like Daniel Tice does not want to be a, be on this a, team, but <laughs> no, but he doesn't want to be a no name anymore. Like he he wants that that next payday. Like this team took Denver in Denver to the wire. They lost by one point. Like they're playing tough basketball right now. Uh, Steven Silas has got them playing hard. They are not talented in terms of a veteran team that knows how to win, but they're a team that. They're, they're full of NBA players who are young, which means at any given night, they have the ability to surprise and just play with confidence. So if this is a game where Portland doesn't come out and punch first, you're going to give that team so much confidence and they're going to be like, okay, we've lost eight in a row. I want to win a game. Like, yeah. Winning's fun. These players aren't about the next year's draft pick or next year's free agent. Yeah. They to take their spot. spot. Yeah. They like their spot secured. Yeah. With, with uh, Chet Holmgren being one or two, do you really think Daniel Theis is wanting to lose games for this team that doesn't owe him a f- damn thing? Daniel Theis don't give a fuck about no Chet Holmgren. Yeah. Don't, don't. yeah. Like, this team doesn't want to give up their spot, man. Do you think Steven Silas is better than Chauncey Billups? And do you remember who was talking about Steven Silas 10 years ago? <laughs> or shit, how long have we done this show? 
Six years? Six years. Who was talking about Steven Silas being a future NBA coach? You've been talking about <laughs> Steven Silas for a minute now, bud. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I'm way more passionate about Charles Lee, so. Sage, the next opponent in the final of the week is the Denver Nuggets. Obviously, the Blazers are going to have to deal with the altitude. But if I told you the Nuggets had the stingiest defense would that surprise you? No, because Golden into the State season? is. Basketball reference may be out of date, but they say they hold the opponents to the fewest points per game, 98.8. I believe it's Golden State, but I, you know, with with Denver, with Jokic, yeah, that is kind of hard to believe. I would think they're a top, you know, a middle 10 team instead of the second or first. They are the only, so I'm looking at just by opponent points per game. I know that's not the end-all be-all, but ESPN standings, they update. They update basically by the minute. They are the only team holding opponents under 100 points per game. They are three and one at home. Obviously, it's a difficult place to play. Still without Jamal, Jamal. Murray, but and Porter Jr. Bad. They, they yeah, he's they have they have the reigning MVP in Jokic. We know Bigs give Portland problems. Bones Highland Bones, could be the guy that gives us problems. That rookie Bones Highland and Will Barton has had moments this year where he just looks nasty. So is he? It, I'm going to look. So game one with Denver. Uh, Will Barton ran with the second unit a lot. Wait, and then game. The playoffs? No, no. Game one of this season. Oh, okay. He ran with the, uh, the second unit a lot to be like the playmaker. And then game two through last time I can remember, he wasn't playing with the uh, second unit. He's playing with the second unit again, so he's a lot more uh, frightening than if he was running with just Jokic 100% of the time. So Will Barton could be... He could be that dude that really damages the Blazers. I mean, I was watching him against the Memphis Grizzlies and just some of the moves he was making to the basket. He's so creative. The finish... I mean, so slick with the reverse layups, the powerful jams. Uh, maybe some added incentive. He went to college in Memphis, so maybe some extra fans in the stands for that one. But he was also a trailblazer, so you know he's going to be. He's close with Dame and CJ, so you know he's. It's a be remember high. me game, man. Yeah, I think this, along with the Phoenix game, is going to tell me a lot. Uh, if the Blazers lose to Houston, I, it wouldn't surprise me one bit, right? Like we're we're, we're used to this Blazer team. We'll playing beat down. Houston. Uh, we'll lose to Houston. Beat the Nuggets. Yeah, like I want to see how this team plays against the West, the West best. And yeah, Denver's down, down a major piece, but they still beat us without that major piece last year. So what's the energy like? What's how did they how did they come out? Like you, I know it's a, a pretty significantly overhauled roster, but how do the pieces that remain? How do I they mean Jokic like- is the core? How if you're not motivated to go against the team that spanks you out of the playoffs, yeah, what the fuck are you doing in this league? Again, I think the common theme, because we said how much of a difference maker Nurkic is, how does he play this week on the road? He, you know, he, he's going up against uh, Zubac, uh, DeAndre Ayton, Christian if Wood, he plays. and Jokic. Ayton's been uh, hurt, yes, he and been. it's been JaVale and Frank. Frank Kaminsky, yes. Yeah. So he's going to have an opportunity to really put a stamp on this week 
or is it going to be another unmotivated Nurkic, maybe not getting a lot of touches, not getting a lot of minutes, not getting engaged or involved? And how do the Blazers perform? Um, what What's going to be like, what are you going to watch for most? Like besides Jokic and Nurkic, what are you looking for the most when it comes to the Blazers Nuggets stage? Besides the minutes that Yusuf plays? Yes. Hmm. Like Dame CJ, our guards have to dominate their guards in this game. Like that, if we don't dominate, Monty Morris, Will Barton, Bones Highland, and PJ Dozier with and Austin Rivers, those five guards, we have some serious problems. So our guards have to be eating their lunch this game. It's going to be Denver's bigs versus our guards. And if our guards can be more dynamic, we win this game. What's a successful road trip for you? I would, I would really like to win the series against Phoenix. So that's a must win. If we're, if we're talking playoffs, having this, the, the tiebreaker against the Suns is really important. Are we playing the Clippers four or three? Suns win, Denver win, hopefully Clippers win. We get four against the Clippers. I and Suns probably three. Looking? Yeah. Four against the Suns. I would really like to beat the Clippers and the Suns because of the tiebreaker situation. So a great week would be all four, but I really think the Suns will be important. So, so lost the Clippers and then we win the next three would be fine. I think a successful road trip is taking three out of the four. Yeah. And I know most people say, oh, split on the road, dominate at home. I, I get that. But when you were a team like the Blazers, who it's imperative they get out to a fast start this season and the schedule makers have been very generous with you and the teams that have kind of been, you know, next up and the players who have missed those games and you're still sitting at 500, you're still sitting winless on the road. You're playing the Clippers now for the third time in, in 11 games. They're still without Kawhi Leonard. That, that tiebreaker is going to be very important. It is. And that that is still a team that you're better than. Like you're, you're flat out better than the Los Angeles Clippers. You have to win that game. Back to back against Phoenix, I can... I can live with a split. You live with a split Phoenix and the Clippers. They're back to back. That's fine. Houston has to be a win. Yes. They've been giving teams fits, but, but the losers. Yeah. Those teams are still beating them. Yeah. The Houston is still losing. We, we've seen the Blazers time and time again, lose to teams on the road that they have no business losing to. You have to kind of nip that in the bud. Like sooner or later, it has to stop. And so Houston has to be a win. And then you you get an extra day off. By now you're two and one. How do you approach the Denver game? Do you say, oh, we've already got our two wins. We're good. We're not going to really compete. Or are you going to view it as this is a division rival? Mm-hmm. This is possibly for the tiebreaker. This team whooped our ass last year and kind of uh, kind of made us feel pretty shitty about it because Phoenix handed Denver their ass. So how are you going to approach that game? I'd argue the, the the Blazers with without Jamal Murray, the two teams are pretty. You know, it, it's comparable, right? Denver hasn't been elite this year; they've been pretty good. 
they're playing good defense. Can you take advantage of the guards though, which you should have done last postseason? Like that is Portland's major advantage. Mm-hmm. If, if you're going to have four of your five best players be fucking six, four guards, Sage, they need to cook this game. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm saying successful is three and one. I think two and two is, is adequate. And I think it's adequate. That's, that's, that's as much as I'll go with that because it keeps you at seven and seven and again, I think sooner or later you have to start taking these steps. You All have games to... matter when you're talking about playoffs. Yes. You have to start and expecting we t- more. Like if if this team is put together in in the mindset of we're winning this year, we are in win now mode. You go two and two on this road. That's not win now mode to me. That's half look... stepping at its finest. Exactly. You look at a team like the Golden State Warriors, the Utah Jazz. They are in win now mode. Like they are taking advantage of everyone else sticking around and they are going to want be the ones that are going to reap the rewards come April, come playoff seating, and they're going to have home court advantage. They are going to have those matchups that favor them. They're going to be in position to rest players down the stretch because of the work they're putting in now. It's just like studying for a test. You go to the classes, you take good notes, you prepare. And by the time the test comes, it's nothing. It's just another, another walk in the park. Portland loves to procrastinate and they're sooner or later, they're, they're going to make a run. You know, they always do, but is, is it going to be too late? Sage, is it not it, for it not to be too late? You have to handle your games in November. You said it correctly. Every game matters. I know it's 82. I know it's a lot. I know it's. But if you're months. trying to compete. Yeah. Like you're playing the Clippers three times. If you end up having a two, one vantage. That's going to be huge for game four of that series. All games are matter. matter. Like if, it, if I were the coach of the Blazers and it was my first year and I knew the importance of winning, I would have those standings up on at the, at the practice facility. I would have the standings up in the locker room. And I would say, look, look how close we are. Five and five. The three, the, the two seed right now, we're is two games back. We're two games back of the two seed. That, and you and you look back and say, men, had we not handled our business against Philly and Cleveland, we would be the two seed right now. How much different would this narrative be, Sage? Around oh, the Chauncey Bill's great. You start to feel like you're the two seed, right? Like, oh yeah, we're second in the West, and you start to play with a confidence. You start to go into these games against Houston and say, man, I, we really got to win. We got to keep our spot. Like rather than, you know, taking all this effort to climb and climb and climb, you're already at the top. You're just, you know, now you're Momentum. doing maintenance. Yeah, you're doing maintenance. you got the wind at your back, sun shining. You got your hat on. You got your sunscreen. Like you're protected. You're good to go rather than fighting all the elements, you know, in the rain, the sleet, the snow, you know, you're slipping. It's muddy. Momentum's a lot easier when you continue to do it, not when you completely stop. Exactly. That's the sign of a good team. So Portland, as much as there is a flaw with the roster, a lot of it is just coming down to effort. A lot of it is coming down to intensity, focus, getting everyone. I mean, it's just the intangibles that I think has has really held this, this franchise back. And you look at when they were successful, especially during that 2019 season, we would go into road games and be like, okay, who's going to be the guy that steps up? I remember it was like an early game in Charlotte 
Charlotte was a, a dog team at the time. But Rodney Hood came out and put up like 25 points in the half or something. And he led us to victory. Like there was always someone on a different night. And I think for the Blazers to get back to that level, they have to just, we're going to go into this gym. We're going to get a win. I trust, I trust you, Anthony. I trust you, Robert. You're going to make your shots. I'm going to give you the ball. And, and I just, I just think it has to, it has to be a collective mindset. It can't just be like, Oh yeah, you know, we're cool. Like it's a, it's your every run of the mill season. Like I think they have to kind of play like their, the contracts are on the line. And I think for a lot of players, they are, it is. And you know, it sucks that it's a business, but you know, do you like living in Oregon? Like do you, during your playing career, like some, some players do like, then you have to do whatever it takes to stay on the team. Like you, you don't want to be seen as, Oh yeah, he's expendable. We can trade him. So just think about all the one-year contracts we signed. Yep. Like, legitimately. If if Tony Snell is going to play eight minutes, he has to put in that effort for that eight minutes. Like, there is a world where next year, Tony Snell doesn't have a job. Ben McLemore doesn't have a job. Dennis Smith so, Jr. Oh, God, yeah. Like, that. those – I mean, Dennis was on the fringe of the league, and we gave him a chance. So these, these these players have to practice with that sense of urgency. Like, this could be my last year. So, you know, I mean, shit, I think Robert that, Covington that can make a must. sense of urgency. Robert can make a lot. Yusuf can make a lot. These games matter for them financially and to create generational wealth. Like, come on. We have to, we have to, we have to give Houston the same amount of, of thought and effort as we do Denver. You have to approach every game. We've already you know, fucked up twice. Yeah. And you have to have a, a memory where it says, we're not going to, we're gonna, not going to let those uh, performances beat us again. You have to just have like a one and no mindset. You just w- win the day, win the practice, win the day, move on. Like don't Dame does a really good job of not getting too high or too low. And you kind of have to just take that approach and say, okay, this is our opponent for the day. It doesn't matter how well we played or how poorly we played previously. Let's get this dub. And then let's, let's, let's move on. Um, Sage, I think that about wraps it up. Anything else, or do you want to let our listeners know where they can, they can find us. So we are available iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya podcast, dash radio, nothing but uh, nothing but net radio Tuesdays, two to three Pacific four to five Eastern. And thank you so much for listening. And we will, we will be back next week. Peace. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go.